So welcome in to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you are with us today, either watching on the YouTube channel or maybe you are listening to a podcast audio-only archive. We are glad you're here. Men, glad you're here in the room, too. Thanks uh, for being here, uh, and a nice welcome to a couple of guests that we have today uh, that uh, that uh, either here for the first time or for the first couple times. Uh, so we are in the book of Genesis. If you want to turn right now and go ahead and get ready, uh, to either on your phone or uh, on the Word of God, the copy that you have, uh, to Genesis 14. Uh, Genesis 14, for those of you that are asking on some of the comments below, uh, I'm going to be probably nine out of ten times, I'm going to be teaching from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, but uh, you can, the other translations, if you if it's one that is trustworthy, um, it's uh, you certainly can can follow along with us. Uh, relatively close. So let me tell you a couple of things going on. You know, this um, this Wednesday Bible study is uh, brought to you by themanchurch.com. This is something that we started doing at uh, my local church with the, the men of that church when we uh, were building and, and working on and praying over the men's discipleship strategy, which is now available and solidified at themanchurch.com. Uh, we launched that nationally uh, in March of 2020. Uh, and uh, you can go there now, and uh, you can plug into resources for individual men. Uh, we have uh, 40-week curriculums uh, for small groups or for your church to implement the men's discipleship strategy, uh, and you can go there and uh, get one of the three curriculums that we have or any resource that we have, and you'll also see that we are sending men out to speak to men in the room. We have services that are called man churches where we come in and actually do a service. We have a team of speakers and teachers that go out. A lot of them are, are the same ones who write the study guides that go along with the videos uh, that, uh, that I teach on that are part of our curriculum. So if you're new to all that, you can find that at themanchurch.com. Here's some things that are going on, um, uh, some of them this week. Uh, so if you want to go um, and, uh, and see uh, my wife speaking, uh, you, you can do that. This is from burgessministries.com. My wife and I, of course, uh, just did a marriage conference last Saturday in Panama City, and we had a great time. Uh, but Sherry is going to be speaking at the Youth, Youth Pastors Summit uh, that is being uh, sponsored by SLU, the Student Leadership University. Two of my sons went through SLU. It's a great resource. Uh, and they are going to different cities and doing a youth pastor summit with different topics and different speakers, preparing these youth pastors on the things that uh, that they'll face uh, with uh, this generation of young people. And Sherry's assignment is pain and suffering. Uh, where is God? Uh, why, why are these things allowed to happen? Uh, what does Scripture have to say about it? And she speaks on that. And the next stop is Dallas, Texas. That'll be this Monday and Tuesday. You can find those details at BurgessMinistries.com. If you're a youth pastor and you'd like to be there or send your youth pastor, uh, you can still do so. Uh, again, BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, just look at uh, the dates coming up on Monday, Tuesday. I think that is the 12th and 13th. Is that correct? Uh, but anyway, you'll find it there. Uh, as far as the Man Church, uh, a lot going on. Uh, April the 21st, Valleydale Church, Andy Blanks, uh, who uh, helped uh, write uh, the study guides and also a lot of our individual resources at themanchurch.com. He's part of our team, great teacher. He'll be at Valleydale Church doing Man Church on April the 21st. Uh, there's no ticket to get. There's uh, nothing to be concerned about other than find time to be with us. That's in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, coming up on April the 18th, I missed that one, Christ Harbor United Methodist Church, Northport, Alabama. Scott Dawson will be speaking there from the team. On April the 22nd, Avon, Indiana, Harmony Baptist Church, Brian Gunn will be teaching there. They've been doing our strategy for a year. They're going into the second curriculum. And then on the 23rd, we've got three different guys going out to three different places. Uh, Highland Baptist Church, Gordo, Alabama, April 23rd. Uh, I'll be speaking at the Man Church there in beautiful Gordo, Alabama, between uh, Starkville, Mississippi, and Tuscaloosa there. Uh, I will be slowing down because I know that they tend to revenue there just a little bit. Uh, also, uh, at Crossroads Church, that's one of the places you better, by golly, when it says that's the speed limit, you better hold to it. Um, so they keep me accountable. Uh, Man Church at Crossroads Church, Warrior, Alabama. Uh, they've been doing a year of the curriculum. They're getting into the second one. Scott Dawson will be there. And then also on the 23rd, uh, Michael Helms from the Rick and Bubba Show and Team Man Church will be at First Baptist Church in Satsuma, Alabama. So that's everything that's going on in April. And this weekend coming up in Las Vegas, Nevada, if you're going to the Altar Men's Conference, this is the one Derek Carr 
is hosting from the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I'm still not used to saying that, but it, this is uh, one that he is sponsoring, and it's a huge conference right there in Sin City. Uh, so uh, our team will be there with all of our resources in the lobby to help any individuals or churches that want to uh, uh, implement the men's discipleship strategy this weekend in Las Vegas. Um, I will also remind you that we have our new app coming out. It'll You can kind of get a look at it in Vegas this weekend, but a new app that will be coming out this uh, this summer I'll be telling you about that that will really help you with even more resources and also we'll have a search feature that will help you more easily go back and get these archives that we do on Wednesday from the last eight years, some search options that will make that a a much easier situation for you. All right, so let's open up in prayer, and let's jump right into Genesis 14. Lord, thank you for today. We love you, and we're excited about opening up your word. May we be refined by it, and may we— glean everything from this that you intend. Uh, Some of this can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord, to see clearly through your lens. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis 14, here's what's happening. Um, We're going to see Abraham here going into three special roles. Now, I understand that He's continued to be called Abram here, but when I say Abraham, y'all know what I'm talking about because that's coming. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to watch him uh, take on three different roles here. Uh, we're going to see Abraham the watcher where he's just kind of observing what's going on. Uh, we're going to see Abraham the warrior. There's going to be a lot to take away there. And then probably the deepest takeaway of this Bible study today is going to be dealing with something that is mind-blowing in Scripture, uh, and that's when we see Abraham the worshiper. Uh, and all that's going to be covered if, if uh, we're good with our time and uh, in, in, uh, in walking through this. So, uh, well, let's, let's begin by looking first at uh, Abraham uh, the watcher, because here's what's, what's going on now. Uh, we, we've got war breaking out, and, and Abraham is kind of observing this. Uh, this section, verses 1 through 12, records the first war that is mentioned in, in the Bible. It's the first one we see. Uh, and probably, I was telling some of the guys who got here earlier, we probably wouldn't even have this uh, if Abraham and Lot were not so involved. That's, that's why God says, I, I want to talk about this because I'm dealing with these two men, and they happen to be caught up in this war. So here's what we have. There's a lot of kings here. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to have nine total kings. There's only a couple of them that I can pronounce. Uh, so in, in, but, but that's okay, um, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time y'all watching me do word daredevil to see if I can come up with these names. But here's what's going on. We're going to have five. They really refer to them almost like they're, they're, they're cities, but in, in biblical times and this time in history, they are, they're more like cities, but they're, they're, they're seen as states. It's almost picture in your mind for those of you that, um, are in the room, or you're you're watching this. The majority of you, I know, I know a lot of you around the world are watching. But those in the United States of America, you know our history. You know, it, it when we started out with these thirteen colonies, they were thirteen individual countries. You know, in in this United States of America, that's thirteen states that united to become one nation under the contract of the Constitution that says if we're all going to work together. Here's the things we're all going to do together, and if it's not in here, then you do it individually in your own state. But we're going to cease to be 13 nations, and we're just going to be one nation, but still 13 individual states. Well, there, there's no unif- unified here officially, but these are five different city-states, countries, nations, with five different kings, and they're located in the plain plains of Jordan, and they had been subject by their own you know, agreement uh, for 12 years to the kings of the four eastern city-states, okay? And that, and that included Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, the, Sodom, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and two other states, they were in a position of power over these five states, and these five states have decided, ah, we don't want to do that anymore. So, so they go on the, on, the, on, the, on the offense to go and overthrow these four other kings, I mean these five kings. So... Um, the, the five kings that um, uh, that I've got it backward, I'm sorry, Sodom and Gomorrah is in the five who want to overthrow the four. Uh, so finally, the revolt happens. Uh, this was obviously a declaration of war. Uh, and so you would think that, uh, that five kings uh, going against the four kings, uh, that the five kings would be victorious. Um, and um, so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about what happens 
Rick, you had it right the first time. Sodom and Gomorrah is in the four. Um, they're in the ones that win, and that is the four. So, uh, and they're they're going to Sodom especially is going to be the big player by the time we're done here on what our takeaway is. So, when this war breaks out, the four kings overtake the five kings, uh, and and so uh, when this happens, look at verse eight now. It says, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sodom. And when then it has another king here, and another king, and another king, and another king. And it says uh, that it was, it was full of these pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into them, and the rest fell to the hill country, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. So what we have here, so Lot decides to stay in Sodom, and you think they're going to have the upper hand uh, and and win this thing. One of the things that we take away, and we'll talk about this on what happened, um, is this declaration of war with with the five kings now, you know, be, being uh, taking on the four kings, the the five you would think have the advantage, but when you consider what took place, that the five kings were actually overwhelmed, overwhelmed, even though they were fighting on their own turf. So so take take this into account. So here's here's the five kings, including the kings of of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm finally going to get it right. And then the four kings that now want to kind of declare their independence. But really more than that, they don't just want to be independent. They want to take over what the five kings have and put themselves in the position of power. You would think, and I thought this was kind of cool, one of the, the takeaways on some of the commentary, commentary, you would think that the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah would know their own land better. How did they get caught in all these pits? Do they not know they have them? It's like when they when they realize they're losing and, and they start going to try to, to, to really it gets down to all they can really do is flee to the hills, they don't even seem to know their own land very well because uh, they fall into these slime pits. And, and, uh, and so you start thinking, how does, let's just focus on, on, on Sodom, how does, how does the king of Sodom, how does he even know, his name is Bera, which means burning, by the way, how does he not know his land better? I mean, when he gets in a bind, well, if you got your Bible or something with your Bible on it, turn over to Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Uh, Ezekiel uh, 16, 49 and 50. And, and we're, we're going to read something that Ezekiel says about the king of Sodom. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but they did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty, and they did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Really, the bottom line is, even though they were sitting here in this place of power, they were so full of possessions and food, and they're ignoring people that that had needs, that when a, a war hits them by surprise, they're so caught off guard, they spent so much of their time eating and drinking and partying, and everything else under the sun, that when somebody shows up to go to war, they're not ready and they have no game plan, and they think that, um, and they haven't even taken the time to do anything other really than to sit there and, and indulge themselves. Uh, you can also see something about this in, in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. The warning from 1 John do not love the world are the things in the world. This is going to be big before we're done. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires desires of the flesh and of the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So Sodom here, representing the world, as they always do when we're talking about them in this, this study, um, they're caught off guard but there's one thing that is actually going to help them in a bizarre way, and that is that Lot has been living there. Even though this is this is not good for Lot, as we're going to see clearly in today's study, the fact that Lot is there and the fact that they lose to these four kings, uh, look at verse 12. Here's where it all goes, or 11 first. So the enemy, after they had fallen into these pits, and then the ones that didn't fall in the pits, they've run up into the hill country. They've been overwhelmed, soundly defeated by these other four kings. 
In verse 11, so the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. And then here comes 12. This is going to bring our boy Abraham into it. Verse 12, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. So here's the story. Five kings are overwhelmed by four kings. Uh, one of those kings is Bera of Sodom, again, which means Bera means burning, and Sodom means burning. So they've been overwhelmed. They, they've taken all their possessions, their enemies have. They've taken Lot and his possessions. So this was Abraham the watcher. He watches all this. He knows this is going on, and look at verse 13. Then one who had escaped of all the melee came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol, and then it goes into his lineage in, in Anir. Uh, these were allies of Abram. So they, they, they came and said, hey, they show up. Lot's been captured, uh, and, uh, and you need to know about this. And you know, notice that he's called Abraham the, the Hebrew. Now, now, why is he called Abraham uh, the, the, the Hebrew? Well, he, he's called this uh, because he is an outsider. Uh, he really has not gotten involved with anything until he heard that he'd been captured. Then he began to act. Abraham was separated but not isolated. He was independent, but he wasn't indifferent. And that's different. Uh, he had some of the local sheiks form an alliance for you know uh, uh, something like this. So he is sitting here not wanting to get involved in it, but here's the thing that we have to understand, but prepared if he has to get involved in it. That's important to, to note that. So what, what we find here is that Lot has been captured. This is God allowing it. Now, do, let's first of all talk about God's sovereignty here. Does anybody here think that God could have kept Lot from being captured? Of course he could have. So God has allowed Lot to be captured because what we saw is, is that, that Lot is willing. He loves Lot enough, God does, that he wants to teach him. Uh, Lot had looked at Sodom. He'd moved toward Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. But we see again this week, reminding ourselves again, that Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, refers to Lot as a righteous man. So where did Lot fail? We got, this is one of our takeaways, guys. While in Egypt, remember last week we weren't supposed to go down to Egypt. While in Egypt, Lot got a taste of the world and he loved it. And, and we never see, as we said last week, but it needs to be repeated again, we never see in Scripture, not one time, not saying it didn't happen because we don't know, but no one documents it. God never tells anyone to document in his holy word any instant where we see Lot making an altar to the Lord. And we see Abraham doing it all the time. So what happened is Lot conformed to the world, as First John warned against, so when Sodom, the world, was defeated in battle, Lot paid the price for being with them. Okay, He's now a prisoner of war. So God is dis he's trying to discipline Lot and remind him that he had no business being in Sodom anyway. Abraham, we assume, probably had been praying for something to happen because he knows that Lot has fallen into the, the sins and the worldliness of Sodom. And, and you see, though, this is, this is difficult, especially those of us that are parents. You see Abraham lets him suffer the consequences to his decision to a point. Then he goes to get him, which we're about to see. Okay, When you choose the world and the world suffers, we will suffer with it. The Lord will do whatever he has to do. Trust me on this one from someone who's been there. He loves us enough he'll do whatever he has to do to get our attention, even if he, if that means being, being taken as a prisoner of war. If that's your best shot at realizing I don't need to be here, I shouldn't have done this, I need to turn back to the Lord, I need to repent, if, if, if God thinks that'll work, he loves you enough to allow it to happen. So now we get to verse 13. Abram knows what's happened to Lot. He's, he's, got, he's got people ready to go if he needs to defend himself, okay? He's got allies there, uh, and, and we see that. Uh, he, he was a pilgrim and a stranger, but, but uh, this was no excuse for inaction. 
He could have said what? What does this have to do with me? I told Lot not to go there. Uh, this is this is not my land yet. Um, I'm a Hebrew. I'm just kind of living out my life. I'm where God told me to go, uh, and this is y'all's business. I'm not part of all this. Well, just because, as I said, he was he he he, he certainly lived his life independently, uh, but uh, but he he said that um, that if he needed to act, he would. He was always ready. Uh, and uh, so you see right now some things that were going on that Abraham was separated but not isolated. He was independent but not indifferent. This is kind of the role that I've taken, honestly, at this stage of my life involving the politics of my own country. I, I used to be a lot more involved in it than I am now because I learned some lessons that that probably wasn't going to serve me well uh, in the things that God had called me to. I've got friends that have been called to get involved in that, and if that's what the Lord has told them to do, then they certainly should do it. But just because I have made my decision that I'm not going to be out there involved in campaigns and all that anymore doesn't mean I'm indifferent. It doesn't mean that it doesn't matter to me at all. It doesn't mean that I still don't participate when I need to and that I'm still going to vote and I'm still going to you know, do what I can do when asked to do it. But, uh, but the role that I, have, that I had to consider is how far into this I was going to be, and I have chosen to be independent, but that doesn't mean that I'm indifferent. I have chose to be separated from it, but it doesn't mean I'm isolated from it. And and this is the this is what the Abram was doing. He said, "Now there's going to come points where I probably need to act, so I'm going to act." And here's one of them. Uh, so um, he loved Lot in in two ways. He gave him the choice of the land, and how about this? Now he also showed how he loves Lot because you know what he's going to do now. He's ready to risk his life to save him. Who does that sound like? So even though he allowed Lot to suffer the consequences of his sin, when Lot needed to be saved, Abraham was willing to give him give him give up his life to save Lot. You see the foreshadowing of Christ here, the lineage, the seed of Abraham, and all this that's going to go. Uh, so, um, so even though Lot's decisions were stupid, Abraham was willing to risk his life to save him, which is beautiful. Abraham was a man of peace. This is, this is us. This is what we're called to as, as followers of Jesus. We are people of peace, but we are prepared for war. Abraham was a person of peace, but you see pretty clearly he was prepared for war if war came knocking at his door. He was ready to go. Now, when you look at the army that uh, Abram had put together, you're going to see some things here, okay? So so look at verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, underline that, born in his house, underline that, 318 of them, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan, 15. And he divided his forces against them by night, and and he and his servants and defeated them and pursued them all the way to Hobah, north of Damascus, 16. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. All right, so let's unpack his army here for just a minute. Well, we know Scripture tells us about Abram's army. First of all, they were born in his house, verse 14. This is spiritually speaking means they were all on the same page spiritually. They served the one and only living God. That's what he meant by they were all. He didn't have anybody in his army that he couldn't trust spiritually. They were all on the same same page spiritually. Second, it says they were armed, and I love this uh, from some of the commentary. This one um, uh, was a beautiful statement. They were armed, and a lot of us in here will nod our heads, and some of you uh, watching this will too. It takes more than zeal and courage to win a war. (laughs) I see Jim nodding big. Uh, you, you can have all the zeal and courage you want. If you're not armed, you have no chance. And, uh, I mean, like, like, like I, I, I was saying the, when, when, when I, I was coming into work the other day and somebody surprised me in the parking lot, which is fine. They, they, they said, hey, man, Rick, I'm, you didn't know I was here. I, I'm, I'm cool. I'm just trying to give something to the guys on the show. And, uh, and what it was is I, can't, I come into this parking lot every morning as a man of peace, and I come in here, you know, ready to serve the Lord, and I certainly don't live my life paranoid, but I also come into this parking lot prepared to defend myself if I have to. 
Uh, I don't go around looking for trouble, but I'm prepared for trouble uh, if it happened if it happened to define me. So yeah, Abraham was a man of peace, and yes, Abraham had zeal for God, and yes, Abraham was a courageous man. But he's not going to go up there and defeat these uh, these four kings. By the way, that just defeated five kings, he's not going to defeat them without weapons. He's not going to defeat them without uh, without being armed and ready for war. Uh, it's um, it, it's something I wish we didn't have to have, but we just do. Gentle as a dove, but what as wise as a serpent. So also we see about his men, they were trained. They were trained. I mean, Abraham didn't sit around going, now one day we may have to take up arms and we may have to go to war. And the guys come around and say, well, what are we going to do? Well, nothing. I'm, God, God will handle that, I'm sure. I mean, how many times do you – like, for instance, what are we called to do? To go, go out, and we're supposed to go out and advance God's kingdom. And what if you said, yeah, I believe that God wants me to go out and advance his kingdom. God wants you to go out and what? He wants me to go out and make disciples. What else does he want you to do? He wants me to go out and he wants to teach people all that he has commanded. Okay, well, are, have you trained yourself to do that? No. How effective do you think you're going to be? You're not very effective at all. Trust me, I tried it that way. Uh, you're not very effective because somebody may actually want to know what the Bible says. And when you say, I'm here to teach you all that Jesus commanded, they may say, well, what did he command? You, and you're going to say, I have no idea. I just know I'm supposed to do this. I'm, I've got a lot of zeal about it. Yeah, but, but you're not trained. I mean, you, you, you haven't gotten yourself ready to do it. You're not prepared. Uh, we would never go into a war and not be prepared, I would hope. So, so every day that we step out onto the – we're in the world, guys. We, we're in the world, and we're not of the world. This, war, this world is at war against the God that we serve. There's a spiritual war that waits on us every single day, and if you're not training yourself for it, you're going to be devoured. You're not going to do well. You're not going to finish this thing. You're not going to make it. Uh, what, what, what is it? Uh, what, what, I love that when you get down to the revelation, and, we're, and, and here's Jesus talking about uh, you know, who's going to inherit the kingdom of heaven and who's going to be restored and who's going to be there. And he says, but as for the cowardly, and then he goes on list another the whole list of people that won't be there. He lists the he lists the cowardly first. That's the first thing he says. And what is what is he talking about? Those who persevere. So you you have to be trained for that. And if you're not putting in the training, and of course you guys making this a priority shows me you're willing to do that, or you wouldn't be here. Uh, so I commend you for that, and I thank you for that. Uh, the next thing we also noticed that so we know they were born in his house. They were all of the same faith. Don't don't go out and fight battles with people that aren't of the faith. They're, they're no good to you. They're, they're the people that you need to be trying to disciple. You don't take them with you to make disciples. They they're armed, meaning what they had the sword. For us, it would be this. Now we we have we may have to literally be armed with weapons, but we're supposed to be armed with the Word of God for sure. And then the next thing, they were trained. We're supposed to be maturing in the faith. The next thing, they believed in the leader. They rode 120 miles to make a surprise attack on four kings. Don't you think if there's 318 of you and you're about to take on four kings and four nations and and the leader says, we're going, don't you kind of have to believe in him to go? And, and, And do you think they just believed in him because he just said it right then? Now, they've been watching how devoted he was to God. They'd watched him live his life, and they said, our leader is a man of integrity, and he, the Lord goes with him, and we need to be with him because the Lord's with him, and he'll be with us, and we believe we're going to win this thing. But we believe in the leader. So here's the question. Do you believe in who, who our leader is? We're under the authority of Christ. We're supposed to be men of God. If you're watching this and you're not a male, a woman of God, and um, and and we're and we are serving Jesus Christ. And can you honestly say in your life, I believe in the leader. I'm sold out. I go with him. If if God be for me, then who can be against me? I believe that at the end of all this, you need to be with him. And do you oppose all who oppose him? Because I sleep at night knowing I'm under his authority. And how about this? What did Scripture just tell us? They won complete victory. 
Abraham got his direction from the Lord, and at the end of all this, what was it? It was a victory of faith. And the men that were with him said, this man has faith in God. He's proven it over and over again, and we have faith in him because he has faith in God. I will tell you all this. I don't have any faith in any leader that doesn't have faith in God. At some point, I think maybe they'll get me a better tax plan, but if they're not a man of God, I certainly, I certainly, I, I don't have much faith in them. And it's been a really long time since anybody who truly had faith in God has even been remotely considered to lead the nation where I live. Uh, e, they were united, uh, meaning what? They weren't three armies with three leaders. They were united behind one. You know what that is among the faith in the church? Hey, let's, let's spend less time on the things we don't agree on and let's unite on the things that we do believe, that we all believe. Do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do we believe that he is the only way to be redeemed? Yes. Do we believe that we're supposed to make disciples? Yes. Do we believe that we're supposed to teach them, uh, teach people all that he commanded us? Yes. I don't know about y'all. But if we all agree on this, why don't we spend more time on that and less times on these ridiculous rituals and denominational garbage that we don't we don't agree on? So what? Unless it's a theological issue that is going to change how we're all redeemed. I mean, what what does it really matter? If if God told me to go out and make disciples and he told me to go out and to teach them all that he had commanded, and he, 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 told, he goes out and he says, if these people believe in their heart and they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and they believe that, uh, that the Father rose the Son from the dead on the third day and they leave faith in themselves and they place their faith in Christ and I want you to go out and I want this message to go, what does it matter if it was all predestined or, it, or, or that everybody's choices hang in the balance? What does it matter? Hey, were you redeemed? I was. What do, you, what do you think? Do you think God had chose that person before they were ever born? Or do you think they had to make a decision? I don't know. I don't even care. I was told to do it. Right? I was told to do it. And, and so I just, I, I'd like to see us unite as a church on the things that, that none of us can disagree with in Scripture and maybe spend less time on those things that might be fun over lunch when you want to see if you can show somebody how smart you think you are as opposed to why you're spending time doing all that, people out there dying going to hell. And we're sitting around discussing all these things that have nothing to do with someone's redemption, has nothing to do with our sanctification, has nothing to do with us preparing to die or to face him. Well, these, these, uh, the, the, you didn't have three different armies with three different leaders. They were all united behind one man. The next thing we saw, they were single-minded, really basically what I just said. They were not motivated by personal revenge for Lot being taken, and they weren't motivated by private gain, taking the spoils of the war, but victory over an enemy and freeing the captive. That was their single-minded approach. I'm going to say that again. Their single-minded approach was victory over the enemy, for us the adversary, and freeing the captive. That's our motivation. We, hey, do we, do we care that people are going to hell? Are we, are we single-minded about that? Because they were, and that's the example we're supposed to see. Abraham and his allies chased the enemy a hundred miles in pursuit of, of an enemy that had more people than they did. They freed all the captives, and they recovered all the spoils. And you know what's sad about all this? Before we move to this next deal, and that's Abraham the worshiper that will take up the rest of our time. Now I want you to think about this. Because we have to be devoted to this mindset advancing the kingdom of God, and the results can't be the motivator. You know, I, I, I heard an incredible message this past week at, at my home church to be reminded of this, of why we do what we do. And, and the example was the prayer 
of Jesus, the high priestly prayer in 17, and, and our pastor, uh, Mac Brunson, titled it, The Prayer That Only Jesus Can Pray. And, and in that prayer, you realize pretty quick, <laughs> we were a byproduct of what Jesus did, but we were not his motivation. His motivation was to glorify his Father. His motivation was to, to fulfill the total will of his Father. We're just celebrating that the will of his Father was for us to be redeemed. That's how he was glorified. But that's, that's all this 100% man side of Jesus sweating in the garden and the blood and the capillaries. and Because now the, now the human side of him says, so I've got to suffer this. I've got to redeem these people for you to be glorified. In order for them to be glorified, I've got to go take your wrath on me. Is there another way to do this? And, of course, when the Father gave him no other option, then he said, what, well, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. He didn't say well, I need to go ahead and do this because, man, all these people need to be redeemed. Us being redeemed is what glorified the Father. That's what the Father sent the Son to do. His Father's glory was his motivation. We're just fortunate enough to be a byproduct of that. And see, and, and, and this, that's the thing we have to understand. Why am I making disciples so I can tell everybody I, how, many, how many I played a role in and led to Jesus? No. I'm making disciples because that's what my Lord who freed me told me to do. I want him to be glorified. Because are you ready for what happened next? Lot didn't repent. (laughs) He goes out and puts his life on the line to go get his nephew. His nephew gets taken a prisoner of war for his sins and his choices. And we know in Scripture that when we get him back and he's freed and he goes back to the king of Sodom, that, that Lot does not go with Abraham. He goes right back to Sodom. You ever been through that? I have. He goes right back to Sodom. So why did Abraham go then? Because that's what God told him to do. Did he love Lot? He did. And unfortunately, after this, Lot might have appreciated it. You ever seen that? Hey, thanks for bailing me out. I appreciate that. What did you learn from that? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for bailing me out. So, hey, so you're okay now? Did you learn your lesson? Nope. I'm going right back, and probably that won't happen to me again. You ever had drug addicts in your family? You ever, you ever thought this rehab is it? You've spent all the money. You've, you've done everything you can do for them. You work and you work and you love them and you love them and you love them and you love them. And you get them set up and you get them a place and you get them a job. And about three nights later, that phone rings again at 2 a.m., doesn't it? And they're gone again. They left the apartment. They left the job. They've gone back to the drugs. So this is a story as old as time, just so you know that. So the motivation can't be that. The motivation is I did what the Lord called me to do. But ultimately, you can't make people do what you want them to do. You can only do what the Lord told you to do. So after Abraham has defeated these kings and gotten Lot back and everything that Sodom lost, here comes an incredible decision. He now returns home and he's going to be met by two kings. Abraham's back as the victor. He's got Lot, he's got the possessions, he's got everybody that was taken captive. And he stands before the king of Sodom, Bera. The king of burning is what that means. And then all of a sudden this other king shows up that we hadn't heard anything about. And let me tell you something. This is a very interesting person in Scripture, extremely interesting. Suddenly the king of Salem shows up. You know, Salem is the end of the word Jerusalem. And he's the king of peace. His name is Melchizedek. 
Now, Melchizedek is a very, very interesting person in Scripture, and, and is very mysterious. There's a lot of theologians, a lot. Now, throughout Scripture, there's times when the uh, these angelic creatures show up in their angels, but then there's times when somebody shows up and it's Jesus, Jesus in the Old Testament. Because, you know, when Jesus finally does what his t- father told him to do, he says he's going to return to where he was. In the priestly prayer, he tells his father, I want to go back to where I was with you before the, the foundations of the world were ever created. I want to go back to where I was. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been. Okay, he just takes on human flesh when we get to the new covenant. But many believe that this king of Salem, the king of peace, Melchizedek, is Jesus. And many believe that. And and if you if you want to really get uh, deep on that, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 7. The writer of Hebrews starts talking about Melchizedek and what what the writer of Hebrews has to say about him is is very eye-opening because this is the writer of Hebrews saying we needed an we needed a high priest that will now take the place of all the earthly priests. We need a high priest, the ultimate high priest, that Jesus is also the high priest. And so the the writer of Hebrews, priestly order of Melchizedek, I mean Melchizedek, for this is Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of, of, of the kings and blessed him. So here he is going back to this moment. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything, which we'll see. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what this name means. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He is also king of Salem, which makes him king of peace. Everybody with me? Anybody ever heard anybody else called those two things? Jesus. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Wow. So we have no genealogy on this king of Salem that walks up to Abraham after the victory? The writer of Hebrews says we don't. We don't know where he came from. We can't find his lineage. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. We just know he's there. And we know his name means king of righteousness, and we know that he's the king of Salem, which is peace. He says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils and those descendants of Levi, and he's talking about the different priests there, and then he goes on and on. So you see that the writer of Hebrews is going back to this time, and uh, you see that Abraham uh, is going to be making a decision here. Because listen to the decision that Abraham is faced with, and it's very similar to decisions that we are faced with. So, so, so listen to this uh, incredible moment. After the return and the defeat of the, of the hard-to-say king and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet at the, the valley of Shebae, which is the king's valley. And then you see Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, talking about the people he'd freed, but take the goods for yourself. Now look at 22. So here's two things. Melchizedek comes up and says, Here's bread and wine. And Abraham says, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I, that I have. You see this, this tenth thing being established here? But Sodom, the king of Sodom, Barak comes and says, well, no, no, wait a minute, I can beat that. Just keep, every, keep everything. Just let me have the people, 
you, all that can be yours, which was a lot, by the way. And Abraham says, I love this. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, 23, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. 24, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. And then he says, let these other guys here take their share. What a moment. So he has before him this decision. Do I take the approval, the blessings, and the riches from Bera, king of Sodom, from burning, or from Melchizedek, king of Salem, peace, whose name also means king of righteousness? Bera, the king of Sodom, offered Abram all the spoils in return for the people. And then, of course, Melchizedek gave Abraham bread and wine. Abraham had to choose between the two kings. And he chose the king of peace, the king of righteousness. And Lot chose Sodom. There's the decision in it. Do, do you love the fact that Abram says to the king, I don't even want a strap of this, nothing, a thread, nothing to do with you? Because what's going to happen, because I know you, if you give me this, then you're going to take credit and you're going to tell everybody that you lifted me up, that you made me rich. When anything that I have has been given to me by God, not by you, and I will not let my life be an example, and I will not let my legacy be, look how much the world gave Abraham. And I just wish we would be that way. Because we're all, it's, it's always whether we want to be a big deal by the world's standards or do you want to be a big deal by God's standard? Look how successful I've been in the world. And then God says, but I wish you would be successful for my kingdom because all this stuff is going to burn. We know what Sodom's future is. Abraham just went and bailed out the king so he could give Lot another shot. And he says, I won't touch this stuff. I don't want you to think you made my name great. God's already told me that my name will be made great. What did we say in the first, this first when Abraham first showed up? God, if God elevates your name, then it truly is great. If the world elevates it, it really isn't. And this is the decision that's, that's before Abraham and is before us. Do I choose to be made great by the world, or do I honestly Truly, I'm okay that if the world thinks nothing of me but my Lord and my Savior and my God says, well done. I'll just take the bread and the wine and I'll take a tenth and I'll give it back to God. I'm going to worship God. Do you notice what the King of Salem brings him bread and wine. Where are we going to see that again? Isn't this cool? And, and we don't know whether this, this king really is Jesus or not, but most people say, if you look at what Scripture has to say about it, it appears that there is Jesus in the Old Testament standing before Abraham. Because what's the one thing that Melchizedek tells him, the Lord gave you the victory. And Abraham immediately responds and says, here's a tenth of what I have back to the Lord. Thank you for the bread and wine. And he worships the Lord. As Sodom's ever gone, <laughs> bread and wine? And you're giving them some of it? My deal's better than that. And you know what? By the world standard, 
Bera had a better deal in this life. But at what cost? Lot went back to extreme comfort. He went back to sin and debauchery and partying. But we're going to get to it. But those of you that know the scriptures pretty well, you know this gets real bad for Lot's family. I want you to think about that. We all have these decisions in our life. I certainly have them in mind. Right here, if Lot pivots, just right here, that bad choice that he made gets corrected here. He goes with Abraham. He leaves Sodom. Right there, he has a chance. He he suffered the consequences. You know, th- this is this is that thing that, and I'm going to do a brutal example of this, but it's true. This is the kind of stuff like, and I remember this through my times of living in Sodom. Here's some of the examples. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to jail. I am going to jail. My life is over. I am going to jail. And then things would happen. Things turned. I would get released. And then I would say what? Well, I'll never do that again. Now, I didn't repent, and I didn't give my life to Christ. I just said lesson learned, won't do that again. Then all of a sudden, about a week goes by, and you're not in jail. You almost went to jail, so you got scared, so you started saying you're going to change. But then all of a sudden, you kind of get out of it, and then you kind of drift back. This is the, I think I'm pregnant. Oh, no. I will. I should have never had sex outside of marriage. I should have never done this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, this was a wrong decision. Then all of a sudden the call, oh, by the way, I'm not pregnant. <sighs> and before you know it, you're back doing it again because you got out of it. And see, this is what Lot's doing. But what you're gonna, you got to understand is that if Lot doesn't turn it around, the damage that Lot is doing still matters. And you're going to see that it's going to cost his family, and I mean cost them big. So Lot isn't getting away with it, even though Abraham came and got him out of prison. You still don't get away with it. Every sin that we do causes damage that on this side of heaven will not just fix itself. And, I, and I've seen it in my own life. But many times our pursuit is to be approved and celebrated by the king of Sodom as opposed to spending time in the presence of the Lord and giving back to him. We'd rather be approved by the world than approved by God. And those are the things that I have dealt with in my own life. So I know it's true of a lot of people. I can't be the only one. But Kelzadek had something better. The blessing of the Most High God. Abram lived by the blessings of the Lord, not by the bribery of the world. I love that line. I don't want people to think the world made me rich. I want them to see that the God bless that God blessed me. And I can tell you that anything that I've been able to to experience that was good, I certainly couldn't make it happen. And the things that uh, that he's allowed me to experience that I handled well was a blessing and the tests that I didn't pass were a curse. And I've said it a thousand times. Some of these things that we think are so, so wonderful, be careful what you call a blessing because I'm sure that Lot probably had a moment because I think about all the times I was in trouble and and God was gracious and I got out of it. Or somebody entered into life that says, hey, man, I'm going to help you with this. And I saw it so many times. 
the Lord just saying, Rick, come on, come on. I, I promise you that Lot, for a moment, was like, man, that was kind of cool that Abraham came and got me. I really thought I was going to die. I thought these kings were going to kill me. And Lot got me out of that, and I really appreciate that. And I'm going to celebrate that by going back to Sodom. Because I'll be fine this time. I've, I've learned my lesson. But there was something about Sodom that was still more intriguing to Lot. And it goes back to what, what I've said a thousand times. What delayed my redemption the most was the same thing that was delaying Lot. I just wasn't sure that Jesus and being redeemed and under the authority of the Most High, I wasn't sure that that was better than Sodom. I still love Sodom more than I love the thought of that. I just loved my sin more than I loved God. And I didn't think he was better than that. I didn't want him to throw me into hell. I don't know. I, I was thinking, well, I know that I'm, I'm not that stupid. But you know what? I said this at the marriage conference to the husbands there this past Saturday, and I've said it because I've been there to men all over this country. And I'm going to say it to you, and then we'll be done. Lot, I think, knew that he needed to leave Sodom. This was a big wake-up call. I had big wake-up calls that still didn't do it. And he probably intended to leave, but just not today. I will eventually leave because I probably should, but just not today. And what I want to warn you about is that sometimes when you keep falling for that deceit from the adversary, you can just not today yourself right into hell. I need to repent. Are, but are you going to repent? Nah, not today, but I need to, but just not today. That's a very dangerous game plan from one who nearly died and went to hell because I wanted to repent long before I did, and I just, just not today. And there's a lot of damage that my just not todays did that I still deal with today. I'm, I'm redeemed, praise God for that. But every time I go and complain about the troubles that my not just today caused me, the Lord reminds me, I gave you many options to do it my way. And if you had, you wouldn't have these earthly repercussions. Those things would be different. So maybe it's today. Maybe today you choose the Lord over sin. Maybe today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the convictions. Uh, pardon me, Lord, for the, the, the things that I stumbled on that I was trying to get right in my mind. Um, forgive me for that. Uh, Lord, thank you, me for, thank you for helping me straighten out the message and finally get the plane on the ground and going in the direction that you've called me to and what you're saying. Help me, Lord, to, uh, to apply it to my own life first. That's the only thing I can control anyway. Uh, but, Lord, if there are people right now that are, that are they're literally hearing this, watching this, going, this is the day, this is the day, I'm going to do it today. I'm not just saying I need to. Today I'm telling you I'm going to. I want to. Well, that's great. That, that means that you, you, know, you have a sincere heart, and Scripture says if you believe in your heart, and only you know the sincerity of your heart, I don't know it, you and God know. None of the rest of us do. But if you are sincere, I'm going to tell you the promise of Scripture. If you will repent of your sin and say, I turn from my sin and I, I, I want to leave faith in myself, I want to leave my own authority, and I want to repent of my sin and turn from that sin, and I turn to you, Jesus. I choose you over the world, and I ask that you forgive me, and I know that only you can. I know that you glorified your Father by going and redeeming me, and I thank you for that, and I would like to be forgiven. I receive the gift that you offer me. I receive it now. 
And I know that you love me because you, you, you did what you did for me. But now teach me to love you. Because when I love you, then I'll start to obey you. But today is just the day that I say, forgive me. Make me the person that only you can. I'm done with the world, and I want you. Scripture says if you're sincere about that, the Lord hears you, and he forgives you. If I can help you in any way on that or you need the next thing you need to do, just reach out to me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com or Rick at RickandBubba.com. Lord, thank you. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Guys, thanks for being in the room, and thanks for being with us.